just one quick reminder before we get into this episode, the registration deadline for the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge will end on April 17th. That is in less than 10 days from now. And if you're riding for Loud Pipes or any other podcast, we do need you to complete your sign-up for 2019. Also, don't forget loudpipesracing.com. Check that out if you want to support our racing endeavors for 2019. We would very much appreciate that. It's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Here are your hosts for this episode, Rich Warfield, Rico Hogan, and John Maracle. Loud Pipes, episode 155. It's another spoken wheel, and you know what that means, roundtable. But this time, special edition, an all-podcaster edition, and this is going to be fun. So grab your beers, put the kids away. This one might be a little lively. So I will just throw the disclaimer out there. This one could be explicit. We're not going to edit it. Let it, let the rough side drag, as they say in NASCAR. Oh, my co-host to the East, Johnny John. What's happening, man? Not much, man. It's going to be a fun night. Interesting topic. And what are you drinking tonight, my friend? You're not drinking? No. Oh, All right. I'm a slack ass. You know that. Well, since Rico's not here, I'll carry the beer torch. I have a sidecar from Sierra Nevada. Orange IPA in a bottle. Yeah, yeah, that blood orange that we had in Alabama wasn't bad. You enjoyed that? I did. It wasn't bad. All right. Well, let's bring in our all-podcast panel. Ladies first, we will start with Liza Miller from the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, also a supporter of the show. Thank you very much. From, of course, sunny Santa Cruz. How are you? (laughs) Exactly. Sunny Santa Cruz. And I am drinking a very fine cherry Sprite. Cherry Sprite. That's a thing. Look at that. Yes, it is. I like cherry vanilla Coke. I know that's kind of odd, but. The new orange vanilla Coke is amazing. Going to the store tomorrow. <laughs> From the motorcycle men, we have representing Mr. Ted Kettler. How are you, Ted? Good evening, boys and girls. And beverage? A chocolate milk, let me guess. Water. <laughs> Water. I have that too. Does that count? Uh, it's like, no, uh, yeah. Well, you, you had the brew. Well, that's okay. You're loud. Nah, I just got off the bike, so I'm just kind of hydrating. Yeah. All right. And one more to the round table. That would be Sir Mike. How's it going, Mike? Throttle up, lean <laughs> left, and roll right. Shut up and ride. We got a live one. Yeah, hey, doing okay. <laughs> I know got you're... myself a fresh cup of uh, Maxwell House special. I was going to say, I know you're driving. Please don't tell me you're drinking anything no. other than coffee. Drinking happened when I got done this morning, which actually was this afternoon. I had a long, stinking night last night. So, Alrighty. Well, let's introduce our topic a little bit, and then we'll get started. And this episode is a little bit of twofold. So the gear topic is something that I think nowadays it's almost like talking about oil and tires, it seems to be. There's, 
there's varying opinions and opinionated opinions, I should say. And before we get too far, I want to give a little shout out to Chris Geis, who has done, he started his own podcast, uh, So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. And that's also So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle.com. Talk much. And I thought the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge was a long URL. <laughs> but I want to give him props for his gear episode. Uh, I believe that was episode two. And the first 15 minutes of that was one of the best statements I've ever heard about gear in its entirety. And he just laid it all out there for everyone to consume. And I just want to give him kudos for that. I thought that was well done. I haven't heard that episode yet. I'll have to check that out. I agree. It was a good one. Okay. So on our topic, like I said, it's a two-parter. So we have a possibly a small disagreement to settle. On gear. And then we want to talk about how to find the right gear. You know, how do you find the helmet that fits? How do you find the right jacket that fits? And does that even matter? And all the stuff that goes along with it, other than, you know, just should you or or should you not. So we'll see if we have differing opinions and hopefully we can extract all the good nuggets. So, Johnny John, you want to kick it off for us? You're a most of the gear most of the time, or are you all the gear all the time? What is your fancy let's start there i will say that most or all the gear all the time i will say that i have ventured to not wear riding pants if i'm doing a short jaunt and maybe that's shouldn't do that because price statistics says things most happily near your house but right done things um like uh, when I was in Daytona or Florida and I went to bike week, I actually said riding my riding pants for two hours. I just wore jeans and that was what for I, for a minute there, I thought you were going to suggest you were wearing some chaps assless, <laughs> right? <laughs> he well, did say Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's where I will say, um, that I'm all the time. Um, I look at gear and I probably have said it many times is gear won't save your life. It will, I feel it will help. Well, for the slide. It can. I wouldn't say won't. Well, it's got, it's places where it can help. Yes. You know, padding the right spots, everything else more. What I'm trying to do is I don't want to have road rash. Yeah. Road rash is the tough one to heal from. From everyone I've talked to that's had an incident, they say the road rash hurts more than anything. So that's where I'm trying to avoid the biggest thing. Yeah, and I've I've come around over the years. John John can attest that I almost always rode with jeans, a t-shirt, and a half helmet for most of the time. And as I have found helmets that fit better and jackets that fit better, yes, pants, you know, with Kevlar and all that, I've I've come around to it. And of course, getting on the track now, like. You know, I have more leather upstairs than a, you know, a handbag shop <laughs> to get on the track. So, so to answer, that's where I'm at. And yes, I would say changing gears. I have three jackets and it's more or less the seasons. So it's very interesting with what I have. So. so how did you find the right jacket? You have three. Could you boil it down to one or do they all serve a purpose? They kind of all serve a purpose. So the first jacket I had was a Cortex jacket. 
It was nice, but it was I felt it was too bulky. Mm-hmm. I was over with KP, and he had a deal on an Olympia jacket. I really, and I know pre-store show, Liza was talking about Icon. I am a big fan of Olympia gear. I think their stuff is really awesome. The biggest piece that I'll give Olympia gear is the fact that the Rainliner is inside or it can go over the jacket. So it's kind of nice that you can just, instead of taking the jacket off to put the Rainliner in, like my Cortex, you had to take the jacket off, put the Rainliner in. Put it over it. Yeah, so this Olympia, if you're caught, you pull it out and it can go, it's big enough to go over the whole jacket. So. Okay. um, (laughs) So, Liza, we were talking about Icon gear before. So any any tips to finding the right jacket other than, you know, one that fits? Well, there's many jackets. This is something that's great about gear. I've got, I don't know, maybe eight or nine helmets. Um, got about seven ri- pairs of different riding pants, about six jackets right now. I just put a bunch in our donation center. Um, and and boots. I've pared it down to about four pairs of boots. And Do you just but forget I, that you have all this stuff and just keep going out and buying stuff. Oh no no no! And I've given myself um, free reign to buy as many gloves as I want. Gloves are so much fun. Amen. Um, because I wear the right gear at the right time for the type of riding I'm doing. And I'm right. I might be riding dirt. I might be riding like motocross dirt, or I might be riding uh, fire trails dirt. Um, I might be riding street or track or hard street curves or highway or high speed highway or around town on my scooter. And I use this as an excuse to get all the different stuff. Mm. And, you know, it's cold weather, it's hot weather. You want to wear something that's comfortable, um, for that weather, for that riding. So I'm a big proponent of get all of them, get lots of gear. I, get I, the rainproof stuff, get the vented stuff, get the high-vis stuff. It's but you're fun. in Santa Cruz. You know nothing of cold weather. <laughs> yeah, you don't we have, have that grips. thermal layer. <laughs> we have needed grips because it does get below 58 here. Ooh, 58. Oh, my God. Oh, you? 58. Yeah. No, we have our own thermal uh, layer before we put gear on. <laughs> So, yeah, I have a lot of different um, gear for a lot of different riding styles. And I do have chaps from my old Harley days. Nice. The old chopper days. Mm -hmm. I saw pictures. I think it was cool. When was the last time you wore the chaps? Well, Halloween, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need to go any further on that. I'm in the camp of, of adding as well. So this year I added a perforated leather jacket and that was sweet because I mainly rode, I rode the R6 mostly this year. I've hardly touched the Harley and now it's for sale. And the perforated leather on that thing was just a dream in the heat. You're really selling Harley up until a point like over like 90 degrees. It doesn't matter. It's just hot air. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, hold on. I was goofing around with my mute. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Yeah, it's for sale, Ted. You want it? No. Why would you do that? Just change, change the riding. Okay. Different interests. Yeah, I know you got your eye on that uh, Super Cub, right? Super Cub. Yeah, maybe two of them. 
<laughs> I can hook them together and, and ride the two of them at the same time. Liza can hook you up. With a super cub? <laughs> With anything. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, threatened, I threatened to get a scooter when she was on last. I haven't found one yet, but that'll be, that's something I have to add for sure. They, it's a whole new level of sketchy riding. Really, you ride on those tiny wheels on the freeway and you feel like you are defying death. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I'm, I'm commuting once again, so I'm, I left my Great. professional services job, so I don't travel anymore, but I did pick up a commute, uh, which I see as a blessing. So I get to ride 60 miles a day now with yeah, Bergman. Perfect. Well, if you get a Bergman, it doesn't count. No, it'll be a bit sportier than a Bergman. (laughs) Just just a bit. So, Rich, back to your bigger your question about gear and and stuff is is I would say you have to look around to your local shops and who has what in store. Try it on, you know, just looking at it, and you also have to look at um, what type of cut it is because you know a lot of jackets are Mm -hmm. European, and Europeans don't help with American. You know, midsections. They haven't got the nice plump midsection like we do. But I will say that the European cut helps me with my arms because they kind of make them shorter. So um, that's the latest jacket I bought over the wintertime was I actually bought a Joe Rocket winter jacket. I was debating between that and an Alpine Star. Alpine Star size would go, the sleeves would go past my hand and all my fingers. But the Joe Rocket was short enough where it would work. Yeah, and I think comfort is paramount. Like if it's not comf- comfort, bah. if it's not comfortable, you're not going to wear it. And if you do wear it, you're just going to be distracted. So I would much rather have something that's comfortable. And I guess that's why you have more than one jacket. You've got your perforated for the hot days and all that. So what about you, I Ted? Say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I can tell you, my, my, um, Criteria is first is comfort, second is protection, and third is style. And on the Harley crowd, Ted, how does that go? Uh, for me, well, you I'm know, just messing I, with no, first it's okay, is no. style, second I, I, is style, third is style, third is style, no, wrong. and maybe wrong. fourth is price. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Uh, the fit has to be perfect. <laughs> that, that's the for me. It's the fit, it's the comfort. That's number one. Um, how it looks, well, that's right up there with the protection, but, you know. Hey, you um, got to make the butt cheeks look good. Well, I don't care about that so much, but, you know, it's for me, for my jacket, the jacket that I, I have one riding jacket. It's my Harley Davidson leather jacket. And I specifically went to the deal. I must have tried on a dozen different jackets before I found this particular one. And because I've got these monkey arms, it, it's hard for me to find uh Jackets. So you're the opposite of John. Like he's T Rex and you're (laughs) yeah, right. You know, I I, so I found this jacket and it fits me perfectly. It's got it's armored, so that's great. It's got vents. I'll wear this jacket until it literally turns into tatters and falls off me. So So I'm happy with this. It's all season for you then. Pretty much, yeah, absolutely. Well, that that may what happen in one long slide. Right, exactly. And if that should that ever happen, then I'll try to find another jacket. But for now. I'm happy with what I have. And that's just it. It's the number one thing. When you're looking for gear, you've got to try it on. Mail order stuff, I can't get on board with too much. 
because you don't know. I mean, granted, a lot of people do it that way, and there's pluses and minuses to it. But for a person like me, I have to be able to try it on. Go ahead, Liza. So here's something interesting. I have a um, a Hein Garrick jacket. It was the first like th- um, three quarter length touring jacket I ever bought. This was uh, maybe like 20 years ago, right? And this is when um, gear, motorcycle gear, was to keep you warm and dry. It was not as much about protection from sliding. It was about keeping you comfortable. And the padding in the elbows and the back was just foam, soft foam. <laughs> like, what's that going to do? And it just, I, I like to show that to all the kids in the garage and go like, look at this is gear. Like an egg crate. Yeah. And I actually, um, one of the things I've been doing is now taking some of my older gear and swapping out the shoulder, elbow, and back pads with the better mm-hmm. pads because you can. So you, a lot of people don't realize you can take your jacket that you love that you've had for years and you can upgrade the armor and make it better. Indeed. So that's one of my top tips. Because well, that, uh, uh, that armor, if it's foam stuff or some hard, it breaks down over time. So you yeah. got to get rid of it. Gotcha. Right. Exactly. All right, Mike, we'll give you a spin in here. How do you find the right jacket, helmet, or otherwise? Um, there you go. Definitely, just like everybody else is saying, you gotta you gotta try stuff. You gotta go to all the outlet stores, and you just keep trying. Um, if it doesn't fit, find out where it's customizable. If it is, like I have, I mean, I have two full cows for for my gear. Um, I have leather chaps and I have my, my riding jacket. They're both, uh, if I remember right, they're called uh, TKG or something like that, but they're generic, but they fit right. They have ventilation for the, uh, for the chaps and for the jacket. But when I came across them, there was customizability to them. They took consideration in their design for my bigger gut at that time and with the leather chaps one benefit that you do get with leather leather chaps is you can just take care of your waist and go with a long leg and then you just cut the excess and that that fits those chaps to you really really easily now of course we're talking about chaps so you do have um tush no protection kind of thing (laughs) Nothing on your toshi. (laughs) Right. So, but the thing is, is, uh, you know, of course, I come from the school of, uh, I provide, I I do my utmost to avoid an incident altogether, thus rendering my gear only useful for protecting me from inclement weather. That's it. Uh, Now, I'm in a state now, being in North Carolina, that helmets are required. And... Um, because I missed my Alaska state where I had the right to choose whether I put on a helmet or not. I, uh, I miss not having a helmet on my, uh, uh, making that choice to not have a helmet on. I'm not saying it right. Sorry. Uh, so I, I go as minimalistic as possible and there's a helmet that I'm saving up for called, uh, Krieger, uh, Krieger.com. Uh, their half helmets have exceptional uh, protection 
they're really really thin but at the same time provide more protection than your standard half helmet or even your high dollar half, half helmet from other companies and so it's like hey that's the look that i want and that's meeting the requirement to the law that's what i want to get but that's 250 dollars right there so other than that um yeah i think i answered the your initial question um but the, I mean, the one consistent thing with my riding though because i'm so i'm so used to wearing steel-toed boots come on right um is i always wear steel-toed boots anymore um and some of my work boots have steel shanking on the side for ankle protection uh or ankle support i should say and so i i i'm hooked on on wearing those kind of boots that's about the only consistent thing that i actively choose to wear whenever i'm on the motorcycles is my steel-toed boots everything else is uh climate predicated on on weather gotcha so you but you would spend 250 dollars on a half helmet though like i don't know that i don't know that i would put that kind of coin down i mean that rf 1200 that i have is well it was a bit more money than that but i don't i don't think i could spend that kind of money for a half helmet i spent three bills for my 1200 because it was half price yeah, mine was a little less than four hundred as well. And I know Shoei has some major deals now on it. So, oh no, I definitely oh, would. I mean, that's the whole thing. Are you are you willing to pay that if you're going to get gear? See, here's the thing. That's why you do all that fitting. That's why you do the research. If you're going to get gear, it needs to number one fit you so that it does its job, right. what job that is, correctly. Agree. Anything else, you're making yourself an unsafe rider by having something that's uncomfortable and thus distracting your attention to what you're supposed to be doing when you're on, on your bike. And that's riding it and paying attention to other things that are going to hurt you yeah. if you don't pay attention to them. And that's, that's one of the reasons I moved off the half helmet. It was too distracting. There was too much wind. It was like it kept pulling off my head. So that was the biggest thing that got me off the half helmet. It was just comfort. I'm like, this is too distracting. It's got to go. I've never had a comfort issue with my helmet. And you had, what did you have this? My my, uh, half helmet, uh, which I wore religiously for a long time. uh, It got to the point where it was actually starting to hurt my head. Uh, So when I got my, uh, my full face helmet, it's like, I, I I switched over to that, started riding with that. And then I, I I appreciated it much more. I never used like that full helmets because I felt my, Vision was interrupted on either side, but uh, I changed my mind about that. Now it's like I don't ride anywhere without a full helmet on. I don't even know if I could wear a half helmet anymore. I hate fighting visors. That's where full helmets, full face helmets, modular helmets, or even a visor on my health helmet. Just, it irritates me depending on, because I'll keep on riding until ice is on the road. So any plastic that's in front of my face gets invariably fogged up doesn't matter if I have a pin lock or not. It just, you know, becomes an obstruction. An obstruction. So I start coming up with other alternatives. Mm-hmm. That's, but that's just because I love. I do like the 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 feeling of what airflow I do get from a half helmet. So, 
Did you have a half well, helmet, we, Liza, on your chopper? Well, I was going to say, we can't wear half helmets here because it gets, as I said, it gets below 58 and then it's just too cold. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you break the chaps out. Right? Shut up. <laughs> it, got, it, yeah, got, it, I, it got down as cold as 42 cold. Even then, I'm, I'm laughing at that temperature. It got down as cold as 42 last night and I would have been riding my bike without gear. <laughs> But you know, you know, you 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 soft you soft pod Californians need all the protection you can get. <laughs> so no, I actually have three happy helmets, um, um, and I found riding at higher speeds on those it becomes like a parachute. It just catches it. too much wind. It's just tugging on your neck. It's not comfortable. Not to mention, I need to have the face protection because at the higher speed. Um, there's bugs and stuff hitting my windshield that I'm, you know, my visor that I'm so glad I have. Uh, for me, my kind of uh, deal breaker now with helmets is they have to have the flip down shades on the inside. Cause a lot of times I like to feel the wind. I'll put my visor up, but I'll have that flip down shade. So my eyes are still protected. Mm -hmm. And then it has to be a modular um, because I do like to open it up and really get even more wind sometimes. Um, and that lets you, make all the adjustments you want with those, those helmets that have those options. And, um, yeah, I can feel free, but I'm still protected. Yeah. But with that modular, if you have that up and you're rolling, that grabs a whole heck of a lot more air than any half helmet does. Depends on the bike and your fairing setup, doesn't it? Oh, that's right. You ride with fairings. I don't. <laughs> right. Right. But the bottom line is, um, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting hit with rocks and bugs all the time and to not have something in front of my face uh, seems more of a risk. And I'm not even talking about prevention for a crash. I'm talking about yeah, wind protection. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that when I, when I first met Rico, he had the R6 at the time and I was trying to follow him on the Harley and it's like, <laughs> I can't dude. It's like my head's going to pull up off of my shoulders. So yeah, then it started started wearing the full face helmet I had, which was a modular uh, Fulmer, I think was the brand. And and then once I got the showy and never looked back, that thing is fantastic. Well, and I'll, regard, I'll tell you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ted. Well, I was going to say, with regard to helmets, what are we looking for in a helmet when we go to purchase one? Well, Johnny John did a bunch of research on that. Ooh, what is that? That's a nice looking well, helmet, So this is my, um, it's a Scorpion AT950. And what I really like about this, as I said, it's modular. Um, it has the flip-down sunshade inside. But also, mm -hmm. you'll notice that it has a, an adventure-type visor. Visor, yeah. Living here on the West Coast, in the morning, we are riding east into the sun. And in the afternoon, we are riding west into the sun. It's amazing how often this comes into play that I can just tilt my head and block the sun out. Nice. I love it. And I've done... 115 miles an hour before that visor started to create a head head shake. Hmm. And that that's, was on a bike with no fairing. That's Scorpion, you said? That is a Scorpion AT950, and those things are under 300 bills. It's a great helmet. Looks like a Stormtrooper. Or not Stormtrooper, like some kind of fighting helmet in the front. <laughs> oh, uh, like, um, no, no, no. What's that, um, that game? Halo. It looks kind of like a halo thing. But, you know, I think people should start considering um, the reason adventure riders, you know, they have those visors. It comes from dirt biking. But 
how many times do you ride and you've got the sun in your face? Mm-hmm. All the time. Having that visor makes a world of difference. The other thing that's nice, if you don't like it, you just put a quarter in the slot. You can unscrew this and that visor pops off. Pop it on. Yep. I'm not a fan of modular helmets. I have this little thing in my head that if you hit, if your face hits the hits the floor, that thing's going to flip up on you. I don't know. Not if it's locked in. Yeah. The study is in in Lazar. Hold up your modular again, real quick for me. See, they won't get a snow rating, right? So, so the spot is is right at the chin. Spot right at the bottom of the chin section, right there. Direct hit is where most of it is the failure points. So your chances of you getting like full face pound at that spot is, is very limited. And that came from KP with uh, I was looking at modular, the new show he came out. Um, yes, Ted, another plug. <laughs> Showy again. <laughs> we have no stock in Showy, okay? No stock, no favoritism. Um, that that was with his input and some of his information he shared. And we went back when I was researching buying my first helmet. Yes, you know DOT Snell, and then there's the UK um, Sharp test that they do as well. That UK is has another standard for helmets that they do an independent study, and their site is pretty cool. If nobody's ever checked it out, check it out because it actually shows you a graph of the helmet where it kind of gets hit, yeah. and if it's good or bad. The only downside is since it is a UK. You know, some of their helmets aren't available in the U.S. because they're not DOT certified. Right. Yeah, we and, need to get a link to that article. That was pretty cool. But yeah, Ted, you you had asked what we're looking for in a helmet, and I think yes, for me, I mean, say all the safety aside, it's got to be comfort because if it's not comfortable, that that is the one piece of gear that will drive you crazy if it doesn't fit right. So yeah. You know, you guys can check me if this is not right, but I believe something like an Arai is more oval versus a Showy, and some other ones are more round. Um, but the the site I've always wanted to try, and I, I think, John, you were telling me about this too, the lid picker, where they give you a device to measure yes, your head, and I, they kind of give you some recommendations. You, you guys ever try that? Anybody? I heard about that from the Wheel Nerds podcast, and they had gotten this unit, and they sent it to them. And you can actually put this device on your head and it'll tell you what type of helmet you should be wearing. I have not done it yet, but um, seriously considering it for my next helmet. Yeah. Go ahead, Liza. You had a hand up. I I actually have some questions for Mike. Uh-oh. Okay, go Mike. Yeah. So um, on a previous show, you've made some comments I wanted to um, question you about. And Please correct me if I'm wrong in this statement. I believe you said that gear um, pro can prohibit control of the motorcycle. Yes. Please Depending tell us more the situation. about that. Well, let's see. If you are wearing gear that's too tight, it restricts your blood circulation. Your limbs or extremities are not sluggish, and you're not able to control your devices for control of your motorcycle in a safe fashion. There's those kind of situations. Are you wearing too light a gear for the weather conditions that you're in and you're getting cold and hypothermia and frostbite are uh, getting to your hands, that kind of stuff. Um, with heat, if you're too hot and you're encumbered, see, I'm, I'm very susceptible to the heat. I still am glad to say it. 
I still have my Alaska thick blood, so I'm very sensitive to hot temperatures. Anything over 60, I start shedding. I'm down to a T-shirt and shorts almost. Um, well, pretty much. But uh, so in my so not or so if I'm if I have any gear on and I'm not able to keep myself cool and I might be comfortable with that gear on. I, I'm saying by fit. But if my temperature, as in my my te- uh, ah, my attitude, I get my temper up. I'm more uh, aggravated because I'm not feeling comfortable because of the uh, because of the temperature. I'm then making wrong decisions. I'm making decisions out of impatience, out of uh, frustration, and those kind of decisions made under those kind of conditions hamper your ability to be a safe rider well i think we could say that that's not necessarily the gears fault let's say your pants are too tight and it's pinching your nuts you're a distracted truck driver that's not good either it's not necessarily the gear it's more about having clothing that fits and is comfortable at any given time right but we're also talking about adding another layer on top of comfortable wearing clothes so you're already adding a, uh, another layer where uncomfort and, and those kind of hazards happen. Now, if my nuts are getting bunched up because of what I'm wearing, I'm going to take the second to get over to the side of the road. I don't care about my destination or my job. I'm going to make sure that I'm not a threat to other people on the road especially since I'm currently in my torpedo of death. Um, and I'm going to correct certain situations and make sure that I'm okay to drive or ride. You know, it doesn't matter how comfortable the clothing is. You're still going to have those kind of conditions. To use that as an argument to, to, to argue for gear doesn't exactly have a lot of legs to, to stand on. Well, so you're saying that if it's too hot, you're better off not wearing gear so that you're more comfortable? Is that what your statement is? My statement is for myself and myself only. And here's mm-hmm. the point that everybody in this panel have made in their podcast, is that gear is 100% a personal decision. We need to take the time because the nature of a motorcycle demands it. And whether we want to ignore it or not, the nature of a motorcycle demands that we pay attention to our job as a person looking to protect ourselves with the gear that we get and make sure that we understand what that gear does for us in an incident, not before, and what that gear can do for us before that incident. I said that wrong. Liza, can I can I try to add there? Sure, go ahead. So I, I think where we're going is that if your jacket doesn't fit or you're uncomfortable, I don't think removing it is the answer. I think you have the wrong jacket, I think, is where you're going with that. And that's kind of my point this summer with the perforated leather is I have only two jackets, really. I have a regular riding jacket and I have a rain jacket. And when it got hot, I had nothing because it just wasn't comfortable enough until I got the perforated leather. Now I have a hot option at least up into the nineties. So I see where I can see both sides. Cause I'm 
I'm on the side with Mike. If it's not comfortable, I'm not going to wear it. It's got to go. It's too distracting. But I guess the answer is not necessarily just toss the jacket is I have the wrong jacket. Got to find something that fits yeah. better. Got to find something that cools and wicks and all that stuff. Yeah, well, my cross country. That everything is on a personal base. People have to be intelligent enough to make that kind of decision for themselves. Does right. whatever gear that's out there available for hot weather and cold or inclement, does that make me feel comfortable and safe to ride my motorcycle? We can't make that decision for other people. All we can do as podcasters who have a voice that people are listening to is suggest better options. And I'm not an expert that way. So I'm much rather you, Liza, same with uh, uh, um, Motorcycle Man. They even have a, uh, I'm looking, I'm interested in looking into it. They're, they have a tobacco uh, road. Yeah, the, tob- the tobacco <laughs> gene wear. That, that has my interest in, and you know that is a plug. You can send me my check, Ted. There you go. Yeah, and I did it for <laughs> Ted. You know, so <laughs> the thing is, is that these are personal. These are personal decisions that people have to be responsible enough to figure out for themselves. We can only offer information and suggestions. That's it. Okay, Mike. I got another one for you. And again, correct me if this is uh, not factual i believe you said that gear does not help in an impact gear does not help a hundred percent in an impact and i'll take the best example our more current example and i was kind of we just talked about helmets and so this plays in the uh uh what's the c word that means it's related with what we were just talking about um we just had a friend last year, a friend of John's, and this guy I was hooking up to actually start getting some rides going on. Um, he was a really cool guy, and he had a helmet on and got uh, cut off by a motorist, and he was going the speed limit. And at 35 miles an hour, even though he had that helmet on, he still died at the scene. So just because you have gear on doesn't mean that you are protected from losing your life, major impact damage, including internal bleeding or bones being broken. At most, gear protects road rash. And even then, if you're sliding fast enough and for, far, uh, for long enough on one location, even that is going to go away and then you're down to, you know, but isn't road on skin? Isn't that enough of a reason to wear it? I mean, your current incident, case in point, or no? Well, I and in that incident, in that episode, what did I do? I went through five decisions that I made that generated that accident. Would that accident have had happened if I had gear? It still would have. No, the but most I'm saying, that would have happened is that I would have protected myself from the road, rash. the road rash that I did get. But I'm saying you have the advantage of hindsight now, so wouldn't that would factor into your next decision? Would it not? If I would have, if I would have paid attention to those five errors, I wouldn't have had that situation. I wouldn't have needed the gear. That's where I come from. 
I don't wear gear to protect myself from incidents. I think about what I should be doing in order to protect myself from, from incident, thus re rendering redundant the wearing of gear outside of climate control. I'd like to cover this whole impact thing because gear does in fact help with impact, especially when we're talking about that armor that I was mentioning about upgrading armor. And in fact, one of our kids here had heard a story about somebody recently had an accident and he said, you know, what? the next time I'm riding, I'm going to put on my dirt bike gear underneath because it has better armor. Like he learned his lesson. Well, this kid listened to him. And the next morning he went and put his dirt bike gear on under his leather jacket, went and hit the, the highway where a van pulled out in front of him. He hit that van and did a somersault over the van, landed on his back on the highway. And when the rescue crew arrived, they were amazed that he walked away uninjured because that back protector saved his back. Ah, uh, the big old back uh, protector. Back protectors. Let's talk about back protectors. They work, especially when you're talking about impact there. Um, same with, yeah, your, your elbows, shoulders, all of that. But the back protector, I mean, you can get an additional back protector underneath your gear, or you can get a better back protector in your gear. But that right there is an upgrade that is worth it. Or in this case, he put on dirt biking gear underneath because he had it. Why not? Right. Um, it does. Same with boots. There's a reason why the boots need to be tight and protect your ankles. I know people who have lost their feet in an accident <clears throat> and people who wore boots that didn't. And I even have a friend who had a bad break that she said, if it wasn't for her boots, it could have been a, it would have been a compound fracture, which is a much worse break. So boots are incredibly important and they do save your feet. So when you're talking about impact, I mean, the helmet right there, the helmet is designed for impact. Um, it's not all about road rash. Sometimes it's about, bouncing off the car or the tree or hitting the pavement as i say it's not the fall that kills you it's the landing it's the stop yeah yeah right yes it is also there for abrasion you're also talking about a level of uh of of risk are you protecting are you saying that okay because i wear my helmet i'm always going to be or or let's take your 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 example of the back and the back protector, which is what helped this this young man. Mm -hmm. So if I wear a back protector, I'm always going to have just this one incident where I yeah I get thrown over the vehicle that just cut me off, and I'm protected. I'm okay. So if I just wear a back protector, I'm a hundred percent taken care of in case of an incident. Ah, see, that's where we're going wrong. Your hundred percent theory. Because everything is about minimizing damage, minimizing risk. Mm -hmm. and, and it's you about percentages. Your ratio of success, you're right. And that's what I'm talking about. If we can increase our math for success to avoid the incident altogether, we don't what? need the gear. Not which to say that me. you don't have to wear the gear, uh, or that, uh, that uh, which doesn't mean that I'm saying you shouldn't be wearing gear. It just means that if we are precluding the, in the, the, re, the reliance on gear to protect us in an incident, instead of thinking one more step before that, so that we avoid 
the incident so that when we are wearing gear, those of us who choose to are protected for those one in a lifetime chances where a serious accident happens and your gear finally does what it's supposed to do. Hopefully, hopefully. But, but you're talking about two different things here. No, we're not. No, we're not. So you said gear doesn't gear gear does not prevent an accident. Is that a correct statement that you may have made? Exactly. You could say yes. it that way. Yes, exactly. Gear does not prevent an accident, and and you put a lot of weight in prevention of said accident, right? Yep. But the gear is your assurance. It's your it's your insurance. Insurance. It's there for that reason. It's not to prevent an accident. And I believe you may have implied that people who are fully geared maybe aren't are taking more risk or are not taking as many preventative measures because they feel like they're protected. Is that maybe well, something you've implied? Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, well, not not 100%. But there is an argument for people who believe that having gear is a, a, is a false sense of security. There are those people that believe that if they have gear, they're protected. And they're, that's a... That in, no matter what. And that's an error of thinking, don't you? Th and don't you believe? Wouldn't okay. You agree? No. So here's the deal. Because I'm at GAT and I wear gear almost all the time, when I'm not geared up, I'm very aware of the risk that I am taking. I am hyper aware and mm -hmm. hyper preventative of the risk I'm taking, as opposed to people who prefer to wear less gear or no helmets and are comfortable out there riding, I think they, in fact, are less aware of the risk that they're taking and therefore may not be uh, uh, taking as preventative measures as I would in that case. Okay. So I can, I can concede to some of that, uh, to, to that point, to a certain extent. Here's the other th point that I wanted to get to, and I don't remember if uh, I ever covered this in my episode three, and it's something that I would be, uh, was planning on plan taking care of and still will at my episode 10, when I do my next, um, uh, drop and hook and look back on previous episodes, gear does have its place. And I definitely do believe that if you are a young first time rider learning how to control your machine, learning what gear protects and all that other stuff, you're still learning. You should be wearing gear. I believe in that. I also believe that if you're a, 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 hi a hiatus returning rider, you should also have gear. Everybody should have gear. And I did cover that in my episode. Here's the thing. You've been riding for how many years? Me, over 40. Okay, I've been riding for just about as long, so I know what gear protects. I know what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. I have the ability to responsibly look back on an, any incident that I've been in, such as the current one that I was in, and realize where my mistakes were. If I'm a young rider, such as this young rider that just flipped himself over a van that cut in front of him, I don't think he, uh, I would I would argue that he probably didn't pay attention to all the signs that indicated that maybe there's a threat with that van and 
should have done something different to avoid that incident altogether. Yeah, that was not an avoidable incident. It was on a highway. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Well, I do because I do assess all the accidents that happen here, which is why I preach visibility, which is why I have a headlight uh, modulator and a back off brake light on my bikes because I ask people and I ask the questions and I go and I look at the crash scenes and I figure out how did this happen and how can I better my odds of this not happening to me? Headlight modulator is a huge one. Visibility is a a big key, yes, for other people to see you, but you have to take on the responsibility of everybody else around you in order to protect, protect yourself because just in this case, as that van driver, that's what he got cut off by, it was a van, right? Yeah, yes. Okay, so this van driver, he's not going to do anything to protect that motorcyclist, right? So we have to take on their responsibility to protect ourselves because they're not going to be responsible for our safety. Right, so I'm going to ask a question to the group who've all gone silent now. <laughs> hey, <I> was... guys, <laughs> uh, what, sorry, is what? The number, what is the number one answer when a car pulls out in front of a motorcycle? What is the reason that they say that they did that? I didn't see them. Didn't see them. Thank you. Was that the motorcycle had an opportunity to prevent that from happening? Ooh, not at all. So, if, well, let me with high vis possibility, let headlight me, modulator possibility. Let me throw this one out because I just mm-hmm. took, um, we haven't talked about it on the show, but uh, two weekends ago, I took a staying safe course. Instructed here by a 30-year motorcycle rider. I will have him in a future efforts episode. Uh, NC police State instructor. I, NC police instructor does motor patrol instruction. So, I mean, I went on the road. It was a two-day course on the road. And the thing you do, is, it was more about lane positioning of yourself to make yourself more visible and the most amount of pavement between you and the obstacle actually can we can we pivot this a little bit yeah go so after an accident how do you break that down liza how did you guys break that down and what conclusions did you come to uh so yeah there's many different accidents that i've gone and done that for um you break down so what's the scenario what caused the the action that then the motorcyclist reacted. Did the, um, I can tell you in, there was a case where one of our kids was riding a Rebel 250. So we're going to take speeding out of the equation here. <laughs> Unless it was right? downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it was on a uh, double yellow highway, which is about a 35 mile zone coming up to a state park. A truck was at the state park and they did not see him fixed single beam headlight. They pulled out into his lane. Now he has to decide, do you go around the front? Do you go around the back? You have to make that decision. He decided to try and go around the front because they stopped as soon as they saw him. So he goes around the front and then the guy tried to slam on the brake and hit the accelerator. Oh, gunned it. And the guy gunned it and pinned him into a guardrail and he lost his leg. So that is 100% visibility, but it's also, you make that call, which way do you go? The guy was blocking his lane, so he went to the open lane. 
had no way of knowing that that's how this guy would react. Um, I have another friend who went behind the car, who did the same thing. The car pulled out, saw them, stopped. He chose to go behind the car, swerved around, but he clipped the curb, got thrown into a tree, and suffered a severe um, nerve damage to his arm and lost the use of his arm. He's alive right. because of all the gear he was wearing. He was in a coma. He had head injury, but he lived because of the gear he was wearing. Um, so each of these cases, it's like, what's the right thing to do? Well, that's why I always go back to preventative of make yourself more visible before you get to that point. Yeah. And, but, and I also know same situation, another kid who put on the brakes and skid and he separated from the bike and he slid under the car and his helmet caught the car. His body went under his helmet caught and he's in a wheelchair now. Mm. So the same thing happens each time a car pulls out. Does gear help Usually from you? the left, yeah. Usually from the left. So in all of these cases, I find that visibility is the most important thing. Well, headlight modulator. Yeah. Nobody's talking about headlight modulators, but in all these scenarios, I find it's the thing that would have made the difference. You would have noticed. So when you're talking about safety gear, I count, I count my headlight modulator. But in, in terms of training, I think I would, sorry, John, we'll come back to you next. <laughs> I would, so the, the closest call I've ever had was this, the classic situation. Guy turning left in front of me, didn't see me. But I would back that up to, I, well, kind of like how Mike broke his down. I made several wrong decisions before I even got to that point. You know, I was, I was too fast. You know, I was not, you know, basically just speed. I was too fast into that area. It's a dangerous intersection. I should have been slower in the first place. You know, I should have been more alert. And then when this guy pulled out in front of me, I, I had nowhere to go other than just lock up the brakes. And thankfully we, we passed, you know, he, I, he didn't hit me, but you know, I take that back to my situational awareness. I just, I was in the wrong speed in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think but, that's you know, part me, of the training what, thing Mike's getting to. What the common denominator is in all of those uh, situations I just told you about. They all survived because of their helmet. That's good. Yeah. Listen, my, uh, my brother, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my brother had a, a wreck a few years ago and he was wearing a novelty helmet and he, I remember he, that that was yeah. painful to listen to. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he's still not right, but no, uh, that's, that goes beyond anything <laughs> else. But, um, he has since moved on. He, although he still wears the beanie helmets, he's, but now he's wearing a DOT approved beanie helmet, you know, cause that piece of Tupperware that he was wearing did absolutely nothing. Fortunately, he wasn't going very fast when it happened, but he, if, if he had been wearing a, a regular DOT helmet, I don't think he would have gotten as messed up as he did. So let me go. With hey, yeah, go ahead. Four things real quick. I yeah, yeah. Four things. Going back to your modulator, if you don't have a mod from the class, I'll go back to the class. The one thing the instructor said is swerve back and forth in your lane. Make them see you. You know, do do you know move your head? I mean, if you don't have do that all the time, move. Right. There are other tactics to make yourself be seen. Yes, right. So so do something to do that. And so it's all about lane positioning. And we'll get. He's going to be on the show, and we'll go into more details about that. There's a part of that. 
I think everything in this whole thing is, and I'll put it this way, we can say that it's recommended, we can show proof it can be, we can say there's other stuff. My view is it's your personal preference. Don't tell me what to do. It's my decision. As long and I look at it as long as that person's educated in it. If you're not educated, then you're wrong. You need to be educated. So once again, we're coming to uh, knowledge being what protects you over what the gear does. Yep. Mm, okay. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say. I mean, does gear help? Yes. Is it? I mean, that's just my thing. So don't. It's part of the equation. I think we've all agreed on that part at least. That it's yes. It's now, it's um, the insurance policy. Now I'll go this way, Liza. You sit here with his comment about that. He got a he had a Honda Valkyrie and he was so scared of it he went back to wearing a full face helmet. <laughs> now he's more of a touring cruiser bike and he's now wears half helmet. Yeah, but you're identifying. If I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're identifying something right there that is a thinking pattern that is just as detrimental. And it precludes any gear that he could be wearing. If he's afraid to ride the machine that he's that he's riding, he's Just already put him, he's already putting himself at risk. Right. So, anyways, um, but yeah, that's this his point. And I also say that he's twenty four years experience and an MSS instructor. So there's a lot of training. Yeah. So, so all right. Continue on, Rich. Sorry. I'm all done with my I'm gonna let Liza go next, but I'm gonna ask her a question before I forget. I'm going yeah, on go the ahead. track next Saturday. Give me the best back protector. I need to buy one. Track day, open track day. I don't know the names of them, but I know for um there's ones that are go the full length down into your pants. If you really want a track day protector, there's ones that um strap on underneath your jacket. And they're they're going to be longer than what you're used to. That's really the best thing. Okay. Something that goes down into like your, your almost your tailbone, really. I got the suit um, one size bigger just so I can put it under the, the suit. And then, and then you may want to look at, as we were talking about comfort, some wicking um, undershirt. Got those. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's the kind of stuff to get into. Um, <clears throat> I have a question I, for Liza when, when, when ready. Oh, go right ahead, Mike. Oh, I have a couple. So with regards, my thinking pattern, which is what protects us, our skill basing, our situational awareness. I ride in an area where traffic, there are tight issues. There's, there's, there's certain times a day that if I keep that in mind, I can avoid, right? But you're in California. You also have something that we don't have over here in the east coast yet you're able to line uh, you're able to lane split with that hazard alone i would acquiesce to wanting to wear gear because you never know when some adult is going to act like a child right and want to cut you off because you're lane splitting or have a door open right but here's another question. For, you know, here's a see. I didn't. I answered my own question. Over there in California, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what is your traffic like? What is your traffic for riding a motorcycle like? Is it always congested? All of the above. Right. So you have 
constant threats that you're not always able to avoid. You're not always able to ensure a following distance because people over in California like to, Ed, what are you doing? Good grief. You're able to be, your, your following distance always gets robbed by somebody wanting that space, right? Okay, we, we, got, we have to take away the people in California thing because there's so many different riding types here. I mean, we go and ride up in the mountains. We never see another car. We are the biggest risk to ourselves when we're riding in the mountains. So there's all different types of riding and there's all different types of assholes. And when you're talking about lane splitting, people here are more educated. So it's a lot less of a risk than it is in states where it's not legal and you get vigilantes who think that they're going to stop the scuff law and they're going to pull out in front of you. That doesn't happen here. So it's a completely different thing. Not to mention the cars are more likely to pull out of your way as you're coming. They split like the Red Sea. It's wonderful, especially when I have my headlight modulator. I will second that, Eliza, um, in the fact that I know here in North Carolina, when we go to the mountains where you see more motorcyclists, the cars or drivers are more knowledgeable for us and very lot more respectful. Um, when you get more in the city areas, they don't. So I, I can I see that, and I agree with you that if motorists know that they're not the only ones on the street, that there is motorcyclists out there, it will help. Problem is, they don't. Right. So, Mike, did you have any more questions? When you guys are riding up in the mountains. Well, no, you covered it. You, you, you guys, you admit that you're your own worst enemy because you're riding those mountain roads, not at the posted speed limit. You're spirited. You're having fun. I'm not going to say how fast you're going, but it's a foregone conclusion. You're enjoying your motorcycles when you're up on those <laughs> mountain roads. Yes. Our code is don't put anyone else at risk except for yourself when you mm. want to take risks. So we go out into the artichoke fields to do really high speeds on a straight road, or we go up into the mountains onto the curvy roads where there aren't any driveways or cars. We put ourselves at risk, not others. Right. And so then, we dress accordingly for the risks we are going to take. So just to make it clear that I do believe that gear has its place. This is where gear has its place. You are actively making these decisions to ride your bikes in a way that puts you at risk. You are reducing that 110% ratio that I came up with in my episode to be a less safe rider, but enjoy your ride more. Right. And if you listen to my show, as I, as I think you do, you, you hear how often we have our some of our people have crashes and walk away or get back on the ride and keep riding because not only are we geared up our bikes are too they've got sliders and protectors on them so we prepare our bikes for the type of risks that we're going to take and usually walk away from it you except also have a lot of young a, riders in your group too well except when there's a another car involved and that's when the bikes they usually uh, don't get up and keep riding, but then I'm talking about the risks that we are taking. Right. So right. I have a question for everyone in the group. I'd like to know how you all feel about helmet laws. Are you for or against helmet laws? I'll go first. I don't like the laws because I don't like being told what to do, but I always yeah. wear my helmet and I would advise others to do the same. 
but I, I still think it's a choice. It should be a choice. That's how I feel. I agree. Okay. Uh, I think everybody should have the uh, option to do whatever they want as far as it goes from what gear they're going to wear. It should be an option. It shouldn't be told what to do. But again, I'll always wear a helmet. I've seen people don't, and I don't get it, but okay. I'll never do that. Wayne, so, oh, go ahead, John. Nope. You, I want to be last. No, nope. nope. you go first. No, 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 no. Go no, ahead, go. John. Go, go. Step All on right. the gas. So let me throw this one out. So we all sit around and grew up before seatbelt laws, correct? Uh, correct. I think we're all in that vintage. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, vintage. Be careful there. Okay. So my opinion would be that you they've mandated seatbelt laws. Why is that wrong? And everybody kind of talks about that. It's the same thing as the helmet law. No, it's not. Yeah. Seatbelts are 50% more effective at preventing life and serious injury. On top of the fact that you have a cage that helps make that 50% that much more successful. But With they a helmet, prevent, but they don't prevent accidents. Have, well, no, it doesn't prevent. But at the same time, the level of protection and life saving that a seatbelt does provide is at greater percentile. And the research has just been done, and you can look it at the CDC uh, uh, webpage. But helmets are only 37% effective at saving life. That's a very low ratio for me to be forced to make that decision to have to wear a helmet on that ratio and no other outside uh, 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 tools assist that 37%, then it shouldn't be mandatory. It should be my choice. Well, then I'm just going to go with, I'm playing this devil advocate, so I'll just, so so what I'm just saying is going by Rich's rules, it's a, why he doesn't like to follow rules, so why, you know, same thing I'm just saying. It's, no, no, I didn't say I don't like to follow rules, I said I don't like to be told what to do. Okay, you're being told to wear a seatbelt. I'm saying I don't like that either. Yeah. But I always wear it, but I still don't like it. So, so anyways, I'm probably on the same page with Rich if you want my, my answer, so I'm just Despise it, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I was going somewhere with this. I think we can all agree nobody likes to be told what to do. And when I am in a state that doesn't have a helmet law, like if I'm out in uh, Ohio with Phil and the guys in Cleveland, I might bust out, go out to dinner without a helmet. I feel like a total scofflaw. <gasps> here's my no. point, and here's, here's why we need the helmet law. Because I feel naked and and and, and put, you know potentially in a dangerous situation without it and so i choose to wear it if there was not the law i would choose because i've been conditioned to feel safer with it so in a perfect world i think we need to have if we had a helmet law for the first 5 years that someone rides or something like that Eight so you can shrinking. condition people So you can condition people to want to wear it and to make the choice to wear it. That is the, my issue. And that's why I do support the helmet law because it's conditioning people to want to wear it when they have the choice. Perhaps age restrictive, like riders between the ages of 18 and 21. 
Yeah, we, we, well, but we get into all the logistics of who. The reason we don't have tiered licensing and tiered all that is we don't have the infrastructure to um, to police it. We just we don't. Uh, England does. I mean, they restrict them to certain bike sizes, stuff like that. Um, I think that's more the answer, and it's about conditioning people to want to make the right decision, but then giving them that they've earned the right to make that decision. I think you need to earn it. Agree with that. 100%. Right. Which is why, yeah, which is exactly why I say, if you're new and you're learning, you need to learn, you need to learn what that gear does for you. You need to have it on. In order Uh-oh. 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 So I'll, I'll, just, I'll just I'll just jump in and say, and that's why we need to set the example. I think that's the larger point. Exactly. Lead by example. We need to set Agreed. the example. Agreed. It's not about choice. Motorcycling in that statement. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> Again, going back to it's up to the individual. But at the same time, right. the individual should see that, okay, I can ride this way and be safe, or I can ride this way and, you know, probably take a risk. So it's up to the individual, right? But hey, you know what? We need to lead by example of how to be a safe rider. Let me add a little piece of data okay. to your stat, though, Mike. I think this is important. So I think I found the CDC article you're talking about because it says helmets reduce the risk of death by 37%. Right. There you go. But the second point I think is even more important. It reduced the risk of head injury by 69%. I want that for my head. Hell yeah. Hell so yeah. yeah. Hey, Mike, given that information, how do you feel about it now? No, see, that's the whole thing. I looked at that uh, page. I didn't just look at that, that first page where it talks about the 37 and the 69. There's a whole bunch of other graphs that, that they go deeper into the success rate of, of gear and what it, what it could have done and what it didn't do and whatever else like that. There's a lot of that study which plays a part in that 37% as well as that 69% serious. How many And the data is 10 years okay. old too. Let me point that out. Well, the Virginia Tech just came out uh, we're talking about how many accidents and what uh, what the nature of most accidents for motorcyclists uh, were. Intersections, and that actually was the secondary uh, threat, but the number one threat was inattentive motorcyclists were running into other cars. Motors. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> okay. And that study was done last year. And Liza puts out a good point about the accident ratio or the 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 number of deaths that that motorcyclists have up at uh, 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 Sturgis, but many of those accidents involved alcohol. Mm. I guarantee you, at least ninety percent, and that's off the top of my head. That's a safe actually, assumption. I was just looking at the Sturgis death statistics, and I do a report every year because I find it fascinating. Why it's so acceptable, the death count. Uh, last year, there was nine deaths. Now, let's say some of those are cause of cars, not the motorcyclists. 
Some of those are, are cause of alcohol, either from the automobile driver or the motorcycle driver. Some of those are caused because of the choice of gear that they're wearing. And we also will say that some of those, they count not just deaths that happened near Sturgis, but anyone that was going to or coming from that's within a certain, I don't know if it's the state or something like that. So why is there such a high death count every year at Sturgis and not at a MotoGP, let's say? Well, those guys know how to crash. <laughs> They're geared well, up I mean, and they the know how to crash. The attendees oh, the at a MotoGP, where you have a huge gathering of people. I know Sturgis has got a shit ton of people. But I'm always amazed that there's all these things in play that makes this death count go up, yet it seems like nobody is affected by that or makes a change. Right. It all has to do with showing off. 90% yeah, but, of it, I bet you that's exactly what it is. Guys are showing up, hot dogging with their friends. We're goofing off. We're having a good time. We've got some booze in us. Let's go have fun. Let's show right. off a little how bit. Many, how many applications of courage have you had before you got back on your motorcycle and started showing off and playing with people? I want to know how many nipples are lost. There's a stat we need to find out. <laughs> uh, who's going to take that one? Who's keeping action yeah, items, John? He's not here, though, is he? John, you keep in action items? Uh, no. So, um, Mike, can I hit you with another one? Go for are it. You, are you enjoying this game? Actually, I am, because if anything, our talking about this subject helps people understand what they need to be considering. Not just my argument, but your argument and everything in between, which is Rich, Ted, and John. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm happy um, to be the filling. <laughs> you guys may or may not be aware that once a year we host a naked ride in the winter here mm -hmm. from a shop. Um, Mike, tell me how you feel about the naked ride that I host. <laughs> I, for one, I'll say I will not be there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. You've been invited. I, you I'm have like... been invited before, Ted. <laughs> in the winter, Mike, no. Tell less. me how you, tell me how you feel. My naked butt on a motorcycle. I would not do that. I would never do that. Number one, especially somebody who who professes at gap mm -hmm. and likes to uh no i'm not going to get abusive oh come on go but, for it mike you didn't hold back oh, on your podcast okay you take a lot of pride in giving free gear to your your the motorcyclist that you come across they don't mm -hmm. have a piece of gear and 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 you have it all good on you and I've always prided you on having your your open shop for the for the for every Sunday. That only helps build that motorcycling spirit. And that's I never take anything away from that. Uh, I, I that's not my goal. But to preach at GAT and then also advertise a naked ride, kind of kind of touches on. A level of credibility that. Oh, and then we lose him. Oh, we lost him. I think he was saying, um, Mike, didn't you say you were disappointed? There was some word you thought you, you used. So I would like to clarify <clears throat> when we host the Naked Ride, they're wearing more gear <laughs> than most Sturgis riders are wearing. In our Naked Ride, they're wearing boots gloves and helmets 
It is a lead ride with blockers in a controlled, uh, controlled ride with a minimal speed. Um, <clears throat> and the reason, one of the reasons we do this is because when you take your gear off, you feel so exposed. I can so imagine. So exposed. You, I mean, it's not just about being naked, but yeah, like you feel like, wow, you are you are living life large right now. Woo, this is crazy. But I bet you, if we go down to Daytona, and you see the people riding in their tank tops and such, they don't feel like they're stepping out and living life crazy at that moment with the risks they're taking by having their skin out like that. So the naked ride is that moment where you really are reminded like, whoa, how scary it is to remove your gear. That said, it's in a controlled lead ride. We only ever had one rider go down and that was, it was raining and it was on the railroad tracks. He slid, he wasn't hurt. Again, helmets, jack, uh, helmets, uh, gloves and boots so that the, you know, your, your feet and hands are protected and your, and your head, your head. So no, it's not a disappointment. It is, it is a way that we let people go a little buck wild and we do it in a safe way. Mm. Context. It's important. Percent that you don't have some Yahoo in a, in a cave coming from opposing lane. that might cut you off. While you're doing your ride? No, there's blockers. It is a controlled ride with blockers blocking intersections. And guess what? Those blockers are wearing full gear because they are putting themselves at risk by doing so. Right. So then in order for them to, to, uh, so in order for the group of naked riders protected in this supposed controlled instance that are blocking traffic Mm -hmm. and putting their lives at risk, in order this naked ride to happen mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make sense to me that's the same kind of riding style we do with any large group that's what we did last weekend when i had my moto food tour we had 30 people we had to block intersections so that we could get a group of riders around safely john's done it no i understand what a blocker and a risky job that, that person takes on we do that um, with any group ride because it's safer for the group. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I believe that there's... Uh, you're doing... You're, you're being as proactive as possible to advocate or uh, take part in this ride. I understand that. Kill that it's video, just, Mike. It's You're breaking up. Kill the video? Is that what it is? All right, hold well, on. it might help, but you're, you're breaking up a lot. Well, it's yet again, it's minimizing risk. Anytime you're doing something that you feel is like crazy and risky, you actually do take all the steps you can to minimize and make it as safe as possible, but still let your, let yourself go a little buck wild. Sometimes we do it once a year. So yeah, I'm not going to say that I'm going to defend myself and say that I can preach at GAT and then support a naked ride once a year. Are you the blocker? Are you one of the naked riders? I actually don't go on the ride. I'm the one who's transporting the clothes okay. because they, oh. because they trust me, even though every year I forget somebody's clothes. <laughs> okay. So then, 
for your stance on AdGAT, you are mm-hmm. you are protected. You are you are faithful to your your line of thinking. And I will be. I, I if you want me to retract anything, then that's wh- that's where my retraction will be. Is that you are upholding AdGAT for yourself and your preach for AdGAT by how you conduct yourself in that event. You're not part of it. You're an active. You're a participant. But a satellite participant, you're not an active participant. I'm a host. I'm a, I enable it. Right. Actually, it's the vampires host this ride, but mm-hmm. I co-host it with them and provide a safe environment for everybody. Yeah. I will. I'll say this, Liza, and I'll say, and I'll go on the record that I kind of would be on Mike's side a little bit on his opinion until you explained it. And I commend you for what you guys do with the blockers. And keep the group safe as possible. And when you know when when it was said a naked ride, I didn't know there was gloves, helmets, or boots. So I thought it was full, and that's yeah. And I never did ever get the details of of what happens on the naked ride. So I knew that you guys still rode uh, wore be- um, boots, gear, uh, boots, gloves, and helmets. Sorry, John. Well, now now that you know that you guys can come out and join us. Uh, <laughs> no, I would have people trying to run me over to to. to, to to take out my ugly, I'd be causing part. the accidents. I'd be like, oh. man. God. My my favorite is inevitably <laughs> sometimes somebody's bike breaks down and they have to hop on the back of someone else's. Oh no! And, oh, and that's when right. nut to butt is true. <laughs> that it is, is a not real right. thing. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you find out who your friend about really PTSD. Are. Yeah, PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scarred for life. Wow. Oh man! Uh, yeah, that brings I mean, so, riding buddy to a new level. <laughs> you know, just and just kind of recap. I mean, that's my whole thing. Yeah, sometimes I go out there and ride in a t-shirt. Sometimes when I'm in a state that doesn't require a helmet, I'll ride without a helmet. Sure, um, but um, for the most part, I'm very aware of the um, precedent that we have to set for everybody else. Um, and you know, that's why I do provide gear or better gear to people. Because it's all about minimizing your risks. It's about, as you said, it's spatial awareness. This is why I say, don't drink. You shouldn't even have one beer. Right. Don't, don't make drink, a ride. Because that affects you. Every stop, I, you're having a beer and then you're getting back on the bike. I hate those kind of rides. I will never support that kind of thinking in riding a motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, have gear that's comfortable have a bike that's comfortable i even tell people like people who put like a chain on like on their bike you know for locking it up if you hear clanking behind you first of all that can be distracting second of all when something is going wrong with your bike your brain is going to tune it out because it's used to hearing this clanking um you need to be so aware of your surroundings and your bike and what's going on with it and the road conditions all of that and you need to have the insurance yeah, insurance, actual pay for good insurance, pay for better insurance. That's something insurance a lot of people will don't do. Replace your helmet in case of an accident. Yeah. Better insurance. Most people are underinsured and having gear that fits right that is good enough gear that um you know one of the things you gave me shit about uh Mike was when Z had her accident and I was giving her shit. It's giving her shit because she was wearing a happy helmet and she road rashed her face. And she had gloves that didn't strap underneath the wrist and they flew off and she had her palms worn off. And 
she didn't have um, uh, any protection on her knees or her pants, and she had abrasions down her legs. And her jacket came up, and her belly mm. was rashed. It's about having the gear that fits and will stay on and is made to actually uh, withstand these conditions, not just about comfort, which is what, Mike, you're saying you, you wear gear for climate control. And I think Z maybe is along those lines too, because she's somebody who can't afford a lot. She takes what she can get and that's the best she could get, which is why we try and give people gear because a lot of people take what they can get and they need better gear. Right. So that's and good my bottom line. And with regards to that, that, that story on Z, she also, in her description of what happened, she also described that she was wanting to, and she was supposed to be on, what was it, the five? But then she changed her course, got on a road that she wasn't exactly all that familiar with. And so she didn't know the <clears throat> prevailing attitudes of the people on that road. No, this was 100% her fault. It was getting onto a local freeway that is a common occurrence. But the things that she didn't put in the equation is that she was riding very early in the morning, so her tires were cold, and there was a drizzle, so the road was wet. So a, a situation that she was used to doing over and over and over, those two things changed it so that when she accelerated out of the turn, her wheel slid out. So complacency got the best of her. Complacency? Um, I don't know that maybe she doesn't have the awareness to her the experience yet to know about cold tires not to mention not you know neither does do we because there's so many things that change incrementally that you don't know when it's crossed the line when you're talking about tire pressure tire condition um things that you're just used to doing day by day are incrementally decreasing so what where how do you know when that line is are you checking your tire pressure every day yes I, as a professional driver, guess what I do before I get into this rolling torpedo of death? I'm supposed right. to take at least 15 minutes to not just check my oil and radiator. I check all 16 tires for their condition, for their tire pressure. I apply <clears throat> the same practice to my ride. Every time I get on my motorcycle, I check my tire Wait, pressure. What percentage of riders out there of all experience levels do you think do that, check their tire pressure? Oh, I, uh, I would. You know, I would, I'm looking at the three of you all being quiet. Do you all know your tire pressure right now? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do know what my tire pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Zero and thirty. <laughs> I can tell you the the R six is thirty four and forty two going to the track. This is ready to go. You've been on the track. Well, it's so, going. It's going. <laughs> it's going to the track. <laughs> But that's the thing. How many, what nice, percentage John. of riders do you think are that aware? <laughs> oh, nice. You got the app and everything. John's like, 14.6? Exactly. Wait, 14.6? What are you yeah. riding? He's a lawnmower? He's got car tires on the front of that thing. That's a little low there, John. Yeah, you might need to take care of that, buddy. Oh. He's on mute. Sorry. Do You're I not riding home, are you? <laughs> you are home. Uh, <laughs> no, they're at temperature 15 pounds. <clears throat> All right. So the point being, I mean, how many people actually know their tire pressure? What percentage of riders do you think know? Not many. Not right. Many. I, you're also talking about, uh, you, you, you said it though. You said it right there. The, the, the percentage of people that are actually doing what they're supposed to do 
when they're being a responsible uh, motorcyclist, I guarantee you that that percentage, in my fair estimate, would be in the low 40s. So we need to do a better job. A little pre, when pre I say ride we, check. When I say right, we, I agree. experienced we. riders, not just podcasters, experienced riders, and this is why I do my co-op garage, because we need to do better and teach and mentor new riders. What it's did you do with us. that young guy who came in with that shadow that had three serious issues of, of, of disrepair, and disrepair? I mean, he had a front tire that had five pounds of pressure. He had a throttle uh, cable that was about to fall off the handlebars. And I think there was some, uh, something wrong with his brakes. Yeah, we help them fix stuff. That's why they come here. We help them, fi- we, we help yeah. them fix it. Did you but, help uh, make him a, huh? did you make him aware? Did you like put, cause I would have, when I listened to this, I, I, I could just imagine putting my, my hands around his neck and just shaking the <laughs> sense into him, letting him know that that's his first responsibility before gear, make sure that his bike is going to carry him safely down the road. If you're aware of his situation, it's pretty much guaranteed that he, that I made him aware of it too. Good. <laughs> that's why I'm asking. But that's what I'm, I'm not, saying. I'm not, I'm not I'm doubting saying. at all that you didn't. I just. But uh, that's what I'm saying. Of... That's what I'm out there doing. And this is what I say to all experienced riders, not just you guys here on the panel, but all riders. Mm-hmm. Be more aware of other riders. We've got kids who've come to the garage because we saw some, you know, a kid's bike in the parking lot with, you know, a tread or yeah. with a leaky pedcock or something. And we'll leave a card and say, come down to our garage. We'll help you out. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah, that thing needs some attention. So go get some help. Yeah. So how often are other people checking out and, and telling people, letting people know, Hey, are you aware of this? Or, Hey, are you aware of that? Yeah. I do that you with know. other cagers, especially when I see a, uh, a tire that's low, that's a threat to me. So I'll go ahead and let that person know if I have the ability, Hey, you have a low tire. That's a threat to us motorcyclists. If that blows, it could take me out, you know? Yeah. Well, and yeah. is this a good opportunity to segue? <laughs> I'm just going to say who who's able to put a bow on that so we can move it on. Well, I can because gear is one of the big reasons that I am a part of the Women Riders World Relay, affectionately known as Wurwur. 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 If you guys aren't aware of the plight of many women, um for many uh, gear companies, the the term is pink it and shrink it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard for women yeah. to find gear that fits properly. Yes, there are companies that make really nice gear for women, but it's also very expensive. It's very high end. But if you just look at, go to like a cycle gear and look at what's available. Um, that's one of the biggest complaints. The big number one complaint from women is the gear that is available to them. Um, not to mention women want to be identified as a woman and it's hard in a men's cut jacket right. to be identified as a woman. They'd like a little style. They'd like a little cut. They want something sure. that their tits fit into, you know? Um, you don't want to look like, so a, like SpongeBob. My second reason for why I love gears because I look good in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I want to see you in your gear. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, I, I have kudos to Harley Davidson for having a specific department set up for women's gear only. But mm-hmm. only finally. But that's only been in the what? The last two years? 
No, it's been more than that, actually. Uh, not not in the right application. Let me say it that way. So, where were um, was started? Um, it's a around the world relay to bring attention to the amount of women riders there are in the world. You guys have heard this. The latest study says there, there's about 19 percent of riders are women. And it's a population that is grossly overlooked and not catered to. You hear a lot of people talking about the <clears throat> the um, dealer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, try doing that as a woman. I personally, some of my kids have had uh, experiences where they were told to go get their boyfriend and he would explain it to them. Or, you know, because like the store ordered the wrong part. And they tried to return it. Um, this, it, sadly, it, it happens. And not to mention a lot of the women, uh, writers we have here, men, um, love to comment like, wow, you ride that thing. <laughs> Do you know what an insult that is Yeah, to an experienced writer, but they see it as a compliment yeah. and see it as a compliment. I mean, they're, they're acknowledging them. There is such, um, this weird, uh, double standard. So because of that, we started this around the world relay. And we have gathered uh, thousands of women, really. It started in John O'Groat, Scotland. If you didn't know, it's the top of Scotland. I bet you Ted knows yep. it. He's probably I know been exactly there. where that is. Yeah. I saw it on the map. Guinness there. Um, <laughs> um, and we are traveling around the world with a baton, passing it from woman to woman, covering over 80 countries, and along the way having events and um, we're inspiring women to start riding. We're showing women that don't ride that you can do this too. And we're showing <clears throat> women that do ride like you can do better. You can do more. Strive to be better. Get, learn, try more styles. Do more. Be a better rider because that's one of my personal pet peeves. Um, women just don't have the same confidence as men and are a little more. Um, they hold back. Uh, you know, they probably ride a little more like Ted. And I don't like that. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I think, <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I was kicking the nuts. You're looking I'm cute kidding, and innocent Ted. over there. I think she's jealous that you have long hair. You got to speak her. up, Ted. <laughs> All right. I'm playing with you, but we are, it's taken a year <laughs> and it's going around the world. Um, it's, I think, in Croatia right now. Yeah, it's really cool to watch that. You can actually track it at womenwritersworldrelay.com, and there's a link to track the baton, and you can see where it is at any given time. And this thing has gotten so big, it's ridiculous. Um, How many women are becoming a part of this and how much attention it's getting? It's bigger than we thought. So were you you in Scotland for the, the start? Or where did where were you? I was at the Ace Cafe two weeks ago for the um, <clears throat> inaugural event. Nice Ace Cafe in London. It is very cool there. I have to say it's on the list. Um, and then the next day we went to an event where the Baton did a um, did a, a lap on a flat track. A woman rode it around a flat track racetrack. Nice. And in Canada, it's going to be going on a um, a uh, drag strip. And like we're we're having all these different events and taking the baton, different things, and showing the world that women women ride. Yeah, do yeah. Here in the U.S., I'm I'm the um, U.S. ambassador. I actually created um, the world route, and I created the U.S. route. 
You didn't have anything to do with the selection of the baton, did you? (laughs) Like the shape? Oh, you haven't seen Despair that was made. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no. We, uh, <laughs> you listen to the episode, you get a, for, uh, a, a firm description of what uh, what that baton is supposed to look like. Actually, it's pretty cool. The baton is actually, it was handmade, hand-carved by the husband of one of our admins, and it's a scroll, and paper comes out, and all the women are signing it. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's neat. It's pretty cool. So right now it's in uh, Croatia, and because I happen to have the world route in front of me, it's going then to uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Montenegro, Albania, uh, Macedonia, Serbia, Hungary, Slovakia, Poland, Czech Republic, Austria, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, USA, Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. Should I keep going? Wow. Was the last one? Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina. They can see it. (laughs) Antarctica. Yeah, (laughs) Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Tanzania, Kenya, Oman, UAE, and we've recently. I think we're going to add Qatar. Nice. That's cool. Where's that link on the uh, on the site to track the where the baton is? Um, on the site, you can click on the top under where we're live. Oh, oh, there it is. And okay, track, track the relay, relay. and you okay, can actually it see Great. where it's going. And I can tell you, here's something that's pretty cool. Um, sure, some of these places like U.S., Australia is huge. We're getting a huge turnout in England. It was really cool. But then you're getting places like um, Iran, where we have one woman signed up to ride mm-hmm. 10 days because it's illegal for women to ride, and she's going to dress like a man. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> and she's going to take that risk. About right. Or in Pakistan, where it's not illegal, but right now we've got two women signed up to do that 10-day trek because there's just not that many women. There's only a handful of women in Pakistan who own a bike right, that yeah. can do that kind of trip. I know of about mm-hmm. five women in all of Pakistan yeah, you who are visit- capable. You've been over there, it. right? At least once? Mm-hmm. Yeah, twice. Um, so we're getting all sorts of crazy stories. And then even in... Um, there are some countries I'm not going to name, but um, they withdrew and said they didn't want to participate because it should be free. Motorcycling is free. The roads are free. No mm. one owns it. It should be a free event. We are mm. charging five pounds to register for as many days as you want. Five pounds is about $7 US. Mm. That's how much we are asking to register for this global event. So we had one woman step up and say, you know what? I will cover all of these countries. Nice. Good. So we've got just amazing stories. And then here's the craziest one. Colette. She contacted us and said, yeah, um, I'd like to uh, do the whole route. And we went, which which one? (laughs) She said, no, the whole thing. Oh, my. What? Mm. You, You can't do. No, no, no. This is going day by day, every day around the world for a year. Wow. She's like, yeah, I want to do it. 
And she showed up at John O'Groats, Scotland. She's from South Africa. She sold her house and decided that this is the trip she's always wanted to do, an around-the-world trip. I don't know if you've ever heard from anyone who's gone around the world. They do not do it in a year, and they do not visit 80-plus countries. No. No. I've interviewed so many people who've done that, and it's no, it's not a one-year thing. Have you guys thought about having a second baton that she would actually hold on to or or tracking? Because her wanting to do this is admirable. Keeping track of her would be what I would want to know, just like any other around the world or, you know, track their their, their journey, because Getting a story, a post story of their experience, especially this lady's experience, and all sparked because of where we're. I'd want to know. I'd, I'd want to know what hurdles she went through and whatnot. She's on day thirty right now. Oh, and did I mention she's a grandmother? Mm. Yeah, you did in the in your episode. Yeah, so um, she's amazing, Colette uh, Tyndall Edeling is her name and she's doing it. So it's just amazing. The women that are participating on this, um, there's going to be a lot of stories that are going to continue coming out of it. But the whole bottom line is that we're just trying to make the world aware that women writers are everywhere and we're the fastest growing market. And I know us podcasters spend a lot of time talking about the poor motorcycle industry and how (laughs) are we going to save it? Well, I know it's going to be women. Yeah. Well, and hopefully there's more ma- uh, male writers that actually step up, support these kind of uh, functions, so that the commercial is uh, the the commercial element. All the manufacturers <clears throat> actually get a hint, because yes, the female uh, ratio is is small but fast growing. There's still that other larger ratio that could help them establish that that louder voice uh agree i definitely applaud applaud females that have and you liza that have got this this function going now it it means to be encouraged that male writers help make that voice louder well guess who has taught most of these women how to ride A man. It might have been a father, a neighbor, mm-hmm. a brother, boyfriend. Husband, we yeah. are aware of that, and which is why we are inclusive. Men are allowed on this women's relay. They're allowed to come as a companion to a woman. We True. thank the. We support the men that support the women, and that's the thing. Um, you want to save the motorcycle industry? Help more women become riders. Yeah. Exactly. That's what you guys can do. Indeed. So there you go. That's the gotcha. report. We'll have lots of links for that in the show notes, of course, to make it easy for those who put a link to it on my website. Can't find where we're. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll do the same. I just need to remember to get my links done. Is there a donation page for that too, Liza? If people want to kick in, there, there is. is, and we appreciate it because we're working without. We've we've got very few sponsors at the time, though Chris Geis has come on as a sponsor, and we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is up at the top, I believe, in the uh, donate. There's a big old donate button. Let's do it. 
If you heard our last and episode, we're all about throwing money around. So yeah, we're in there too. <laughs> we appreciate it. And part of that money we're using to actually, um, we've created scholarships. So women like Colette, um, or, or the, I see Yosan, who is traveling through some of those countries that were underrepresented. We're throwing some money back at her to help her out. Um, and Colette has actually started a GoFundMe. Someone started it for her mm-hmm. to help her go around the world. So mm-hmm. especially when we get to countries where there's not that many women writers um, or where there are writers, but they don't do recreational writing. They can't afford to take off three days right, right. and go ride. So we've created a scholarship. So some of the money that, that's coming through is going to that to help make this happen and to put more writers on, uh, on the, on the road. Great. Very nice. Beautiful thing, man. Love it. It is. Thank you. Let's take a quick break in the action here and take a moment to recognize the people who continue to make our show possible. And we do that by thanking the writers of loud pipes for their continued support. First five, Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. Slack pack is Chuck, Nobby tire, Old Man Slacker, Sir Mike, and the executive producer of Chaos and Mayhem. Barbershop is Steven and Jacob. Loud Pipes Racing, Sean Birch. And then we have Steve, Micah, Kenny, Dangerous Dave, Bronco Ride, Rich, Joe, Tony, Jed's Moto, and Scott makes up the riders group. Darren, the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, Kale and David are the insiders. We appreciate all the support, no matter the size. And if you would like to show your support, and join this group, you can visit lawpipes.net slash donate. Check out all that we have there to offer. So we'll give everyone a chance to wrap up. So, Ted, you've been quiet. You want to go first? I've been quiet? Okay. Uh, what am I going on? Or maybe you've been abused. I'm not sure. Abused? I'll take that. <laughs> um, <laughs> wear your gear. Wear, wear your helmet. Wear, wear good boots and wear good gloves. And tobacco motorwear. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> uh, really? No, I, I I wear my tobacco motorway jeans every time I ride, and then that's not just a plug. That's the truth. Uh, I always wear my jacket, regardless of what the temperature is outside. I'm always wearing my leather jacket. If I don't wear my leather jacket, I'm gonna wear my. God, I gotta say it. Tobacco motorwear, California riding shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, checks to be, be made payable too, <laughs> and um. But I'm always wearing edible underwear too. What's that? No, they Did haven't you just got say that under, edible yet. underwear. No, 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 no. I got the Kevlar lined underwear. <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, because your chaps don't have anything in the seat. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? The funny thing is, I only wear the chaps when it gets a little cooler out. But that's it. But uh, go out there, and if, you, if there's gear out there, you need stuff. You need a jacket. You need a helmet. Go out there and try it on. Cycle Gear is a great resource for helmets. Because they have all that stuff on the shelf, and they're very easy to work with. They'll help you. Uh, certainly, the same thing with, with jackets. Find a retailer locally and go try, try the stuff on. That's the best way to do it. Best way to do Look, it. Look, Ted, we know why you wear chaps. Oh, here it comes. Go ahead. Mm, there's the beer. Come on, why all men wear chaps? Because it makes your package look big. <laughs> No, I don't. Come on, it does. It does. It looks good. (laughs) So does a race. My my, my jeans are kind of bulky, so that might. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Uh, So the I I I think I'm done. (laughs) The other quiet one, Johnny John, your turn. Oh, there you go. Oh, I had found the mute button. 
TD well, slipping. Yeah, I say on a good show. Enjoyed having everybody here. Uh, yeah, re- wear your gear. Um, that's my opinion. Or find stuff that's comfortable. Same thing Ted said. So that's all I got. I won't plug all my gear. Nice. That was, that was, that was really that Thank was you. really deep, man. Yes. You, oh, you want me to wear? Okay, Showy, Olympia, Joe Rock, <laughs> Alpine Star, Quartet. There you go. That's funny. Sir Mike, your turn. Put a bow on it. Be an educated rider. It takes more than putting gear on, having gear on your motorcycle to make you a good rider and protect yourself. Education, fighting complacency, learning those skills, learning the true responsibility of being a motorcyclist includes all of it. Gear condition of your equipment and the condition of yourself so that you can make those educated decisions that are you are responsible for a hundred percent to be a safe motorcyclist so that we can see you always out there on the road this message brought to you by the national coalition of motorcyclists (laughs) llc all right thanks mike Liza? Uh, real simple. Live free, ride naked. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then just shut up and <laughs> ride. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can add much to that other than, you know, find find gear that works for you. It's got to be comfortable. Make sure you have the protection you're looking for. And I guess my riding tips would be slow down a little bit and hey, don't drink dude. and ride. Perfect. That's it. I like it. And I'm talking to myself mainly, so. (laughs) (laughs) Slow down. Cool. Thanks, everyone. listening please consider supporting the show we offer generous rewards for your contribution find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate 